It is the word of the Lord. And I finally get to preach. Hasn't the past couple weeks been so good? It's so good to have you, Christian and Megan, and just preaching the word. And so, um, but yeah, uh, so if you're new this morning, I haven't gotten to preach for a few weeks now, so I hope you packed a lunch. (laughs) The title this morning is Intertwined Prayer and the Character of God, because prayer and the character of God are intertwined throughout Scripture, and we'll see that in this passage this morning. And in all seriousness, in a minute, I'm going to pray. Pray for me, because I do have way too many notes. And so, God help us. God help us all. Um, coming, what's coming in Thessalonians or in the preaching diet here at Trinity? We will finish 2 Thessalonians next Sunday. And then we will be rolling, can you believe it? The Sunday after that begins Advent. So, four weeks of Advent, and uh, then... After Advent, rolling into 2022, we'll begin preaching through the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. So if you haven't been reading those yet, can I encourage you, begin to read 1st and 2nd Samuel. And this series next year is going to be so fun. We are going to just have a blast going through those books. But this morning, I want to tell you a little bit about a mom. Her name is Monica. She's not fictitious. She's a real mom who died a long time ago. She was probably like many of the moms that are here in the building. She loved her son, but Monica was in grief over her unbelieving son. She pleaded with the Lord to save him. She begged the Lord that her son would not travel to Rome, fearing the worldliness and enticement of Rome. And so, She was crushed, having spent the entire night in prayer, pleading with the Lord not to allow her son to go to Rome. She woke up the next morning, finding out that he had boarded a ship on its way to Rome. He became a teacher in Milan, teacher of rhetoric. So he went to hear Ambrose of Milan. He went to go hear him to preach, not because he was in love with the word, but because, well, he was in love with rhetoric and he wanted to hear, humanly speaking, he went to hear Ambrose of Milan to hear his eloquence of style of speaking. Sovereignly speaking, he went to hear Ambrose of Milan because God was drawing him to himself. God would also use children singing in a park to cause him to pick up his Bible and read it and come to saving faith in Christ. Many of you, some of you know who I'm talking about at this point. The Lord had heard this mother's prayerful cries for her son. So while she didn't want him to go to Rome, it was in Rome that in the providence of God, he came to know Christ. Monica's son, you know him as St. Augustine, was converted to Christ And he once wrote about this to the Lord. He says, in your deep counsel, you heard the central point of her longing. Speaking of his mom, his mom's longing. Though not granting her what she then asked, stay in Rome. I mean, stay away from Rome. (laughs) Namely, that you would make me what she continually prayed for. He also wrote, then we, Augustine and his friend Olypius, 
went into my mother and told her to her great joy. We related how it had come about, his salvation is what he's talking about. She was filled with triumphant exultation and praised you who are mighty beyond what we ask or conceive. For she saw that you had given her more than with all her pitiful weeping she had ever asked. For you converted me to yourself. Let's pray. God, would you help us to see the glory and trust in your sweet providence? Teach us how closely prayer is intertwined with the glories of your character, of who you are. Show us that who you are matters when we come to that moment of prayer. Reveal yourself to us today. Allow that revelation of who you are. Drive us to our knees in prayer. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our text this morning, Chapter three, verse one, Paul begins. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. I want us to go backwards so we can move forward. So to help us with the context, let's go back to last week to help us with our text this week. Remember Christian's sermon last week. Remember how chapter two of this letter wrapped up. It's this big, thick God, not you, not me, is at the center of it all. He is sovereign over your salvation, your sanctification, your glorification. He has the power to get it all done. In verse 13 of chapter two, God chose you, chose you to be saved. Again, in verse 13, he sanctified you by his spirit. Verse 14, called you through the gospel. And Paul unpacks all of that without apology. It's this rich, God-centered, God-glorifying, God God in his divine initiative has made all of this happen. And then he drops this, verse 15, stand firm. So what Paul is saying is that God is sovereign over your salvation. He continues to sanctify you. He will bring you to your glorification. And so stand firm. Firm, And then he prays for them, verses 16 and 17. I want to read those. Verse 16, chapter two. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. That's Paul. He's praying. Turn the page or turn the chapter. No chapter breaks in the original language, right? So that's his thought. I'm praying for you. Now what's this next, next thing? He said, finally, brothers, pray for us. The question that's often posed, right? Chapter two, this thick, sovereign God, this God is all powerful, sovereign over your salvation, sanctification, glorification. The, the question that's often posed, if God is sovereign, if he's in control, why pray? Paul seems comfortable turning to pray and calling us to pray. But if God is sovereign, chapter two, then why pray, chapter three? If God is sovereign, does praying make any difference? And my response to that, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, then pray. It's the character of God that drives us. So intertwined is the character of God and 
prayer. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's intertwining them both. The character of God, his sovereignty is always leveraged in in scripture, not to weaken our faith, not to um, weaken our convictions. No, it's always leveraged to embolden our faith and to inform our convictions and to drive us to prayer. So Trinity, God is sovereign. So let's pray. And that's how prayers intertwine throughout scripture and throughout this text. Knowing who God is ought to drive us to our knees in prayer. Now remember, the church in Thessalonica is under severe suffering. It's likely that they have friends. Literally, think about this. Friends in their church, the first church of Thessalonica, literally, right? Right? The first church of Thessalonica. We have friends in our body who have been martyred for the sake of Christ. That's the kind of suffering they are experiencing. And so Paul is saying in chapter two, God will bring you all the way home. And you might be wondering that in the midst of that kind of suffering. What's going on here? God will, he has saved you. He is sanctifying us and he will bring you to glorification. But in the meantime, we're waiting. And they're waiting on, they know that Christ is going to return. And they're wondering, have we missed it? That was two sermons ago, two weeks ago. And so that's the setup. And now he's saying, pray because God is. Pray, well, praying says, we are weak, but God is. He is strong. Prayer says, we are finite, but he is infinite. We are lacking in wisdom, but he is the God of all wisdom. We don't know what's best, but he is all-knowing. We lack power to accomplish our salvation, but he is almighty and sovereign and faithful to complete our salvation. This is your God, Paul's point, so pray. Come to the prayer meeting next Sunday, not because of chapter three, verse one, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Though that's a great reason to come because you're being told, come, come to prayer, church. Come to prayer. But that's, that's not where he began. He's saying come to prayer because chapter two, God is sovereign over it all. God's character is what informs Paul to say to them, to say to us, so if you will, hit your knees and pray because of the rich, thick theology of who God is, chapter two, turn the page, chapter three, there are no page breaks, right? Pray for us, he says. While obedience is enough, just following the command of scripture there, chapter three, verse one is enough. It's not all that he said on the, on the matter. So Paul walks us up to the glory of God to then say, finally, brothers, pray for us. Or we might say it like this. He walks us through the glory of God, the character of who God is to say, so guys, you ought to pray. (laughs) 
you ought to pray. So don't separate chapter two and three, please. And so the Thessalonians, as I said, is they're suffering and it's severe. And what do they need to know? And what do we need to know in the midst of the suffering? They need to know, we need to know who God is. And from that, they need to do something. We need to do something. And that is pray. That's what Paul's getting done. You see, prayer is not something that we do to manipulate God. We don't, we don't pray to simply get our way. We're not praying so that God would have a better understanding of us to get in line with us. Hear my prayer, Lord, so you can get aligned with me. I used to have a car that I bought used. I got it at a great price because it was a rental fleet vehicle and it had been in an accident. Some of you, you've been around for a long time. It was my Mitsubishi Galant. It's a great car, except it had been in an accident. And the problem with the car was you couldn't get it aligned. Like it would always, if you're driving down the interstate and you just kind of did this, it would just pull strong to the right. You'd hit the brakes and it would just pull strong to the right. And uh, I would have it aligned. It would fix it a little bit. And a few months later, we're back to pulling strong to the right. And uh, as you know, that's not good for your tires. Uh, Cars that are out of alignment don't drive well. And they are costly because you have to replace the tires. Prayer is like the alignment of your car. But sometimes, right, sometimes our lives, we get out of alignment And we pull hard to the right and we start thinking, God, you need to get aligned with me. But actually what prayer does is it straightens us out. It gets us not not God in alignment with us. It gets us in alignment with God. That's what prayer does. Has Has that happened to you as you're praying that you find yourself going, oh, I came to the prayer moment with this thought, this, this, and this, and I leave it in light of the character of God, with that and that and that. And God is changing us as we pray. We get aligned with the character of God, who he is. And so Paul is saying that. He's saying God is sovereign from start to finish, salvation, sanctification, glorification. He's sovereign and powerful. That's who he is. And so finally, brothers, pray for us. Or Chapter two, that said, pray for us. And I love that. But that's not all he says. Let's look at what he asked them to pray for. We'll call this a biblical strategy for gospel advancement. Pray for us, he says, that. He's gonna say that two times. This is, this is the Apostle Paul's walking into the church prayer meeting. And he's putting it on the board. I got two prayer requests. He's gonna tell us two things to pray for. And let me ask us, before we get to that, church, what is our strategy for gospel advancement? 2021, moving to 2022. Now, as I unpack these, please don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? Don't have time. Bridge, 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 just take them. Bridges, if, if your answer to, here's our strategy for gospel advancement, if your answer is a program, an evangelism class, a certain atmosphere that we've got to create in the room, 
All those things, good in their place. We're gonna have programs. We're gonna have evangelism class and we might even have a little, little bit of atmosphere. They're good, whatever, in their place. First century apostle Paul, he's not going, here's our advancement strategy for the gospel. We need a better parking lot, guys. We need more comfortable chairs or whatever. You fill in the blank. Here's Paul's strategy. Ready? Pray. Let's read the text. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. It happened among you. We preach that in 1 Thessalonians. We can't go back there. We don't have time this morning. Come on, Paul. Don't we want something more edgy? Something more culturally relevant? It's gotta be something like, you know, a great marketing plan. And of course, we're gonna salt that a little bit with some prayer here and there. It's gotta be culturally and politically driven. That's how revival will come. Do you want a Bible-driven Bible-saturated strategy for gospel advancement at Trinity? It's found right here. At the first church of Thessalonica, Paul walks into the prayer room. He writes on the board some prayer points, and he says, hey, brothers and sisters, this morning we're gonna pray two things. The first one is word success. The second one is deliverance from wickedness. Word success. What Paul is literally asking them to pray is for the word to have success. One more time. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. I love that language. It's beautiful. It's why we love preaching, expository preaching. Because we wouldn't have bounced into this text on our own. It's such a beautiful phrase. And I dare say, most, if not all of us, didn't even know it was there because we don't spend a whole lot of time on our own in 2 Thessalonians chapter three. It's an incredible phrase. It's an incredible text. It literally means when he says that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, he's literally asking them, pray for word success. Is there anything better to pray this morning as a church, then word success. It literally means pray that the Lord would make the word run out in front of us. That the word would get out in front of us. Let the, that the word would be quick. He, you, this is how we would say it. God speed the word. Get out in front of us with the word and allow it to be honored is what he says. Now that's alignment with God. Do you think that, that that sort of prayer is aligned with the Lord? Certainly it is. Like an Olympic athlete, he or she has been running races his or her entire life in, in front of crowds of 10 and 15 people, right? Grandma and grandpa are in town, so it's 17 people this week, right? Like, like, like that's the, the reality of how Olympic athletes begin, Small crowds, but now as an Olympian, 
on the big stage before a stadium of shouting fans shouting out for their country before millions on television. They run the race to be honored. They run the race in an effort to win, to stand on that podium, to have the gold medal put around their neck on the top platform, right, to be honored. Paul is saying, pray for the word like that. Pray for the word. We want the word to run, to speed ahead, to win, and to stand on the podium in such a way that the word is honored in people's lives. We want it to be victorious in the lives of the lost. He's saying, pray like that. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Godspeed your word. Before this dark world, before the church of our day that's taken its eyes off of the ball of the gospel and begun to think that it's actually the government or congressional policies. That's the power for change. And that's where the the true revival begins. The word tells us differently. Have we forgotten Romans 1.16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. That's, that's where the power is. So we're praying, God, speed that. God, advance that. So we pray like Augustine's mother prayed because it is taken from the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose it and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Translated, well, Paul, he's doing commentary here on Isaiah 55. This is how Paul's gonna say it, shortened, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. And that is to be the cry of our hearts. And I'm saying to you that Paul's showing us that that's intertwined chapter two in the character of who God is. That we pray, that we cry out. Trinity, do we want gospel advancement in our church, in our mission in our county, in our country, in in this nation, in our living rooms. Pray, verse one, in light of chapter two. God help us. He secondly says, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul isn't asking for prayer because everything is going rather smoothly. It's not. Paul fled from this church. Because of the persecution, he had to run. He's now writing, I believe it's in Corinth, where he is receiving more persecution. He's in the thick of persecution. And so he asks for prayer. And this is not a token. I don't want this to sound wrong, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. It's not a token, pray for traveling mercies. No, it's pray that I'm alive tomorrow. That's the reality. Pray that my enemies don't kill me tonight. That's the reality of Paul's life and the reality for the people there in Thessalonica. So where he turns next is crucial for our understanding. He says, for not all have faith. Where's he gonna go? 
you've already read. He's going to go back to the character of the Lord. Because prayer and God's character are intertwined. For not all have faith. Listen to just that phrase. It's beautiful wording. Not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Not all have faith. We have enemies, but the Lord is faithful. We have circumstances, but the Lord is faithful. That's what he's doing there. His, his attention is, hey, Thessalonians, let's get our eyes off of the circumstances. Let's get our eyes off of the enemies. Let's get our eyes off of the suffering. Let's get our eyes on the God who is faithful in all of it. That's what he's doing. That brings us to point three, but the Lord is. What a great thing just to highlight, just those four words, but the Lord is. They are this, but the Lord is. The circumstances are this, but the Lord is. How about we get our eyes, church, off of the faithlessness of man and put our eyes on the faithfulness of our God? Please hear me, church, because I believe that this is the word of the Lord, the message of the Lord. This is, this is for the church there in Thessalonica, and it's for the church here today, 2021, living in America. It is for us. Get your eyes off of faithless men and on our faithful God. What does that look like? What do I mean? Less Fox News less CNN news, less Facebook, less social media, more on the faithful God that you serve. It is who he is that Paul is driving us to. Paul knows what the Thessalonians are going through. But again, he takes their attention. He's saying, look, look. It's like he's taking their, taking their head and saying, stop, stop, stop looking over here, faithless men. Let me put Put your attention over here on your faithful God. He's directing their and our gaze where it needs to be. Pray because God might want to be glorified as you or I or as was in the Old Testament as his people walk through the Red Sea. Pray because God might want to be glorified and bring about the change of a heart of a king or a heart of a boss or a heart of a parent as he sovereignly brought the three Hebrew children into the fire unharmed. You see, sometimes God moves through prayer by removing the danger from our lives. And sometimes God moves through prayer by walking us into the danger in prayer. In both situations, he is glorified. But if you don't know that he is faithful and you're walking through the fire, or you're in the lion's den, the furnace is hot, then your eyes will be on the circumstances rather than where they need to be, and that is on God. Now, for each person in the room, that might look different today. Pray, because he might want to be glorified by allowing your brothers to throw you in a pit and sell you into slavery so that you grow up in an ungodly, under an ungodly Pharaoh so that you will then save those very brothers who sold you into slavery and God's people as well. Pray because God might want you 
as was the Apostle Paul, to go to prison for the name of Christ. And yet he says to the Philippians in prison, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Pray and your circumstances might change. Pray and your circumstances might not change. But knowing who he is in either case makes all the difference. And it ought to, I think this is Paul's point, drive us to then pray. Do you see God in the midst of the difficulty? I am loving this lyric by David Crowder in his song, He Is. I want to read it to you. It's poetic, so well done. It's in a bridge in the song, He Is. Comforter, counselor, prince of peace. Author and maker of everything. Defender, deliverer, king of kings. He is, he is. Helper and healer forevermore. Savior and shelter through every storm. My refuge, redeemer and Lord of lords. He is, he is. Child of heaven and son of man. Provider, protector, the great I am. Alpha, omega, beginning and end. He is, he is. Amen. And that drives prayer. What does that mean for us living in 2021? What if America is in the mess that it's in to wake us up from our slumber? Not to wake us up to political talking points or pithy arguments or one-upmanship. But what if we're in the mess that we're in to wake us up to prayer rooted in the character of God? The Lord is faithful. Is there any greater glory today? Faithful to all those Old Testament saints. Faithful to you. He saved you. The faithfulness of God. He took you, Psalms 40, out of the miry pit and he made your footsteps firm. He captured you. Even though you were dead in your transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2, he saved you, and he didn't just sand off the edges a little bit here and there. He didn't just tweak some things here and there. He made you a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He took you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9. How faithful has God been in our lives? Are you amazed? at the thousands of ways you could have completely shipwrecked yourself. And yet he has preserved you. He has captured you. He has saved you. He is sanctifying you. And he will bring you to the end, your glorification in Christ. He saved you, not because you got cleaned up, It's not because I got cleaned up and he said, wow, look at you, look at Tim. I ought to choose him. Look, I need him on my team. That's the silliness and the way in which we think we are so man-centered. I need her, I need him. Nothing shouts the faithfulness of God louder than the cross of Christ. He did not lay down his life because he thought you were cute, irresistible, 
cute puppy dog in the window. No, he died. He was crucified. His body was broken. We sang about it this morning. His blood was spilt. God was betrayed. He was abandoned. Not because we were a little sinful in need of a little salvation. No, my friends, he died because we were lost and without hope in this world. We could not save ourselves. Friends, we would not be here if it were not for the faithfulness of God. What will the faithfulness of God, the Lord, do for them? Two things. We need them both, he tells us. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He will strengthen them. He will establish them. He will protect them. Which brings us to point four or verse four. And, you, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that, we, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. I'm calling this where to put the exclamation point. Where do you put the exclamation point? Where's your confidence? Is it in yourself or is it in your God? I wanna live and die putting the exclamation point where scripture puts the exclamation point. Be sure not to put the exclamation point on yourself. Put it where it belongs. Your confidence is in the Lord. The exclamation point always lands on God, not on man. It's God's salvation. It's God's preservation. It's God's grace. It's God's faithfulness. It's God's sustaining. It's God's providence. It's God at work. It's God's wisdom and power and glory and, and, and. The glory of scripture is that it always puts the exclamation point on the character and the work of God. That's what makes us worshipers. It's at that moment when we put the exclamation point on ourselves, worship becomes small. Prayer becomes little. It's how we want to do church. We want to walk in those doors saying, God, I'm here for you. This is not first and foremost about me. This is first and foremost about you. Exclamation point right there on the Lord. This is how we seek to preach the word because we're firmly convinced it's how the biblical writers wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God to write the Bible. It's the grid by which we want to preach the Bible, read the Bible, sing. Children's ministry behind that wall. It's what we want to see in the children's ministry. God-centered, exclamation point on the character and the activity of God. Why does Paul have this confidence in verse four? And we have this confidence in the Lord about you. He's not saying I have this confidence in you. It's about you. But it's in the Lord. Pray, not because you've got this. Pray because you don't got this. We don't have this. Because we're weak. Because he's strong. What does that mean? Again, okay, so driving to work Monday morning. Christians today, we are fretting. We are fretting people. Oh no, there's COVID. Oh no, there's vaccines. Oh no, I'm not getting vaccine. Okay, I'm getting the vaccine. Oh no, wow, we've just been doing years of oh no's. 
Some say, oh, great, it's Trump. Some saying, oh, no, it's Trump. Before that, Obama. Now, Biden. Oh, no, this. Oh, no, that. Election was stolen. Election wasn't stolen. Some say yes. Some say no. They're destroying our Constitution. The American experiment is gone. On and on and on it goes in so many ways. Everything has changed around us, right? And yet, I keep saying to private conversations, nothing's changed. Your God has not changed. What you're called to has never changed. The mission has never changed. If anything, it's Lord, please, please, please. Oh no, my son just traveled to Rome where God sovereignly moved. God, do it again in our day. Same God, same truth, same hope, same Bible, same mission, same opportunity to pray. Some say, this is where we lost the battle for our country. It's when they took prayer out of the school. That's where it all came crashing down. I don't say this to bust on us, but here's the thing. The battle wasn't lost when they took prayer out of the schools. The battle was lost when the church no longer prayed in the church. We just want prayer back in the schools, and yet we're not willing to pray in the church. I think there's a lack of prayer in the church because we've lost sight of who he is. So don't come to the prayer meeting next week out of guilt. No. Come to the prayer meeting next week because of chapter two. Because of the character of God. By all means, come, but come because of who he is, not out of some condemnation. Where do you put your exclamation point? I can say I put the exclamation point on God all that I want, and yet a lack of, of a prayer, praying life actually reveals where I put the exclamation point. That's uncomfortable for me to preach. A lack of prayer loudly says that the exclamation point is on me. I've got this. I'll tell you what, Lord. I'll let you know when I need you. He's saying here, come on, Thessalonians. Come on, Trinity. Get your eyes off the faithless enemies. Don't be man-centered or circumstance-centered. Get your eyes on the faithful God. If God is faithful, if this is where you put your exclamation point, he's saying, then pray. That's what we see Moses doing back there in Deuteronomy. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's pretty amazing in light of who the Israelites were in Deuteronomy. This is Lamentations. You know the text You've probably had it in a Hallmark card that you've given out. Jerusalem, but do you, know, do you know the context to the text I'm about ready to read? Some of you know the text. You don't know it's in Lamentations. That's okay. We're going to give it to you in a second. The context to the text is Jerusalem is a pile of rocks. We're not talking about America. We're talking it is a pile of defeated rocks. The people of God are destroyed by their enemies. It is a completely destroyed city and wrecked people. That's the context for this well-known scripture. 
the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Imagine that. As you're walking around your city and just seeing the city walls in a pile of rocks. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So Trinity, as a church, where are we going to put our exclamation point? Where are we gonna put our confidence? Is it in you? Is it in me? Is it in your pastors and your community group leaders in an organizational chart in good musicians? Thank you guys, right? Like, is it in, in our abilities? Put the confidence, put the exclamation point where it belongs squarely on the character, the faithfulness of our God. And so he says, verse five, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I'm just gonna ask the worship team, you guys remain seated. At some point, maybe we'll stand and join with them in song. But I want you to hear Read the lyrics on the screen. Hear these words and quietly respond there. Let's worship our God.